Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse, um, I think verse 22. We got through, uh, tw- or 21. We got through 20 last week. <clears throat> and uh, what, what we're going to see today, I'm going to, try to, I'm going to try to speed up a little bit. We've been six or seven weeks now, and we're just barely in chapter 2. So unless we're all going to be, unless we're all going to be 100 years old getting through with Luke, we better hurry up just a, just a tad. Um, but today what we're going to see is I, I want to show you what, what the Lord's been speaking to me as, as I've read through the text and prayed through it and studied through it this week is, is we're going to just, we're going to get to see Jesus. I mean, we're going to get to see who he is. We're going to get to know him more as to who he is. We're going to, we're going to grow closer to him. We're going to, we're going to see who he is. Now, for us that have been here, the, for us that are, have grown up in church or who have, uh, been a long time in the faith, that may seem like, you know, wow, you get to see G. Well, I know who Jesus is. But what, what we're talking about is growing in our understanding. A mature believer knows that there's, there's so much more to know. There's so much more to understand as we grow in Christ. We're going to grow in our relationship with him. Those of you who've been married for 20, 30, 40 years know that today that you've been 30 years with your spouse, you know your spouse a whole lot more today, deeper and better than you did when you were first married. That's the, that's the thing about coming to know someone, coming into relationship with someone. You grow in that relationship. You grow in that knowledge. You know them deeper. And if we love Christ, and if we've been born again, we do love Christ because the Spirit points us to Christ and draws us to Christ over and over again. And if we love Him, we will want to seek to grow more in him, want to seek to know him more. Today, what we're going to see is uh, we've been looking at the birth of Christ. We've been looking at uh, all the events that transpired in Luke chapter two, excuse me, uh, as we as we have been looking at that. And uh, and today, what I want to show you is there's hints and there's foreshadows and there's clues as to this this uh, this mission that Christ has come to do come to do for us. Now, all of you know the mission. Uh, we know that Christ came to live a perfect life. He came to live perfectly on this earth and never break the law of God or the, the, the covenant of Moses. He came to live that perfectly so that we who were born under the law are not subject to the law in such a way that we have to deal with all the penalties and all the, all the punishments because he took that upon himself. And we know that he died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins to take away our sins. And we know that he was risen from the grave. So we kind of know the whole story. And and it's when we go back and we read, you can pick up the clues that all this is about to happen. If you are reading this for for the first time, you probably wouldn't know. You wouldn't know yet that Jesus is going to go to the cross. You wouldn't know yet that he's going to rise from the grave. You wouldn't know yet the plan of God in bringing forth his Messiah. But you can see the clues. It's almost like if you ever watched a movie or read a book for the second time, you know, you you watch those mystery movies or those detective shows or we watch those CSI shows at my house a bunch of times. And if you're watching an episode that you've already seen before, you kind of know how it's going to end. And as you watch it again, you can pick up the little clues that have been pointing that whole way. And you know, you can see the clues are, that are going on that 
it. No, you know, you know who done it. And so um, this is what we're going to kind of see today. We're going to see in the birth of Christ. He's been born now and his mother and father, Joseph and Mary, are, are going to bring him to the temple. And there in the temple, he's going to meet these two people. One's named Simeon and one's named Anna. But what I want to show you first is really there are four things in this passage. We're going to read probably from verse 21 down to verse 38, 39. So I'm going to read quite a bit. There are four things that testify to who Jesus is. The first one is going to be the law of God. It testifies that this is the Messiah. This is God incarnate. This is the one who came to save us. The second is the spirit of God will always testify, always glorify Jesus, always lift him up. That's what the spirit of God does. And the third and fourth are these two people, Simeon and Anna. So let's get into the text. And I want to show you, I want to base the whole thing today around who is this Jesus? That's the theme today. Who is he? Who is it? Now, you know who he is, but I want to show you these clues that we see from the text of Scripture. The first thing that we see in these verses, I'm going to read verse 21 through 24 first, is that he is the fulfillment of the law. In verse 21, it says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus. They obeyed the, the angel told them to name him Jesus. They called him Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her, talking about Mary's purification according to the law of Moses, were accompanied, uh, were accomplished, excuse me, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is of the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now let's stop there. I don't know if you know this or not, but when you're studying your Bible, when you're reading through scripture, wherever you're at, if an author repeats the same word, the same phrase over and over and over again in a section of scripture, you need to pay attention to that. He's trying to tell you something. I don't know if you noticed that or not, and we'll notice it again as we continue on through this passage, but he said the law of God, the law of Moses, three times in those four verses. And then he's going to say it two or three more times as we read on. He said, he said, uh, uh, verse 20, 20, uh, 21, and the eight days were accomplished, uh, circumcising of the child and 22, when the days of our purification, according to the law of Moses right there, then you have in verse 23, uh, as is written in the law of the Lord. And then in the verse, verse 24, it says the law of the Lord It's talking about the law, witnessing the fulfillment of, of Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. It's important. This is important that you understand. Jesus was, is, and will ever be the fulfillment of the law. And that's important for you to understand because without that, there is no salvation. There could be, Jesus would not have been, now careful, listen to what I'm saying. He would not have been worthy to be your sacrifice if he had not been perfect in the eyes of God and in the eyes of men. If he had not obeyed the law of God perfectly, that means from birth to death. He never sinned, never sinned, not once. Even as a baby, his mother and father, his 
uh, mother, and I guess you call it his stepfather, uh, uh, Mary and Joseph brought him to the temple. It says they brought him on the eighth day. If you want to write next to, next to this passage in your Bible, Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, that's where all these laws come from. It says on the eighth day, you're going to circumcise your child. On the eighth day here, they brought, they came and brought the child to be circumcised. It says when the days of her purification were over, that's talking about in Leviticus chapter 12. It says if you have a male child, you'll be unclean for 40 days. And at the end of that 40 days, you have to come to the temple with the child. You have to dedicate him to the Lord. The firstborn is always dedicated to the Lord. That's laws in Exodus. And it's quoted right here. The one that opens the womb will be. Uh, holy unto the Lord. And then you had to make a sacrifice for the child. Actually, the sacrifice in Leviticus chapter 12 was supposed to be a lamb. You're supposed to bring a lamb to sacrifice for the the firstborn child of your house. But in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8, there is a stipulation made. If you're poor and you can't afford a lamb, then you can bring two turtle doves or you can bring two pigeons. And so you see the humbleness that Jesus was born into. Mary and Joseph couldn't afford to bring a lamb, so they obeyed the law and they brought two turtle doves. They brought two pigeons uh, according to the law of Moses and they sacrificed those from uh, sacrificed those for their child. Now, this is important for us because you see, by Jesus keeping the law, by him being born under the law, by him being born under the law and being uh, being raised under the law and keeping the law, he is able to give you his righteousness. He's able to give you his perfection. When you stand before God, you will have had to have kept every single law, every single thing. If you fail in one point of the law of God, you failed in all points. There is no, well, I'm doing pretty good. I've only messed up a few times. If you have failed, in anything to the words for most of the time, the word for sin in scripture is talking about missing the mark. It's like shooting an arrow at a bullseye. And if you get off of that bullseye in any way, shape or form in any, any capacity, even a, a few millimeters off of that bullseye, you've missed the mark. Understand that you're not just going to stand before God, uh, forgiven and washed clean and uh, a blank slate there. That's part of what Jesus did for you. But you You can't just stand there as a blank slate with forgiveness and cleanness on you. You have to have a righteousness. You have to have not only have not done anything wrong, but you have to have done everything right. Okay, good luck. So even if you're doing really good and you know what, today I haven't done anything wrong or this month I haven't done anything wrong. Even if you're probably deceiving yourself into thinking that you haven't done anything wrong, that's not good enough to stand before God. That's not good enough to be accepted into his presence. You not only had to have done nothing wrong, you had to have done everything right. You have to have done everything that has been commanded of you. That means every thought, every action, every every motivation of your heart has to have been holy and perfect and righteous according to the law of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I'm not doing too well. If I want to if I want to uh, stand before God uh, the way that I am in my own goodness, in my own works, in my own righteousness, I'm going to tell you it's not going to go well for me. And I'd be willing to bet pretty much everything I got that it's not going to go well for you either. But Jesus was born under the law in Galatians chapter four, verses four and five. It says he was born under the law so that he could redeem those who are under the law. He was born perfect 
and he was born under that law and every part of that law was kept. Now we're going to see as we go through the life of Christ that he as a boy, as a, a man, when his ministry begins, he's going to keep that law perfectly. But here's a clue. Here's one of those hints we were talking about that even at his birth, even at his birth, he was born under the law and the law was kept. The law testified to who Jesus is and who he is going to be, what he is going to do. The law testified to the perfection of Christ. He was born under the law and that law, if he would, if, uh, if Mary decided one day, you know, after the 40 days of her purification, if, if Mary decided, you know what? This is the Messiah. The angel Gabriel told me that this is going to be the Messiah and that he's going to save all the people and we're going to name his name Jesus. So, you know what? We're going to forget all about that law stuff. We're going to not go to the temple. We're not going to bring a sacrifice. We're not going to have him circumcised. We're not going to do all those laws that are uh, set forth for us to do in Exodus and Leviticus. We're not going to do all those things. Understand, Jesus would have been seen as unworthy to be the Messiah by Israel. He would have been unaccepted. He would have not have been allowed to be in the synagogues or in the temple or in any of those things. But Mary and Joseph kept the laws. They were born. Jesus was born under the law and they kept got, Jesus kept the law of the Lord, not only the law of the Lord, but also the covenant of Moses so that you and I can live on his righteousness. You and I can live on what he has done. So the law testifies that this Jesus is Savior and that you need this Jesus as Savior because the law is testifying to you and to me today that we're condemned. The law testifies to you and I that we're wretched and sinners. We're criminals before God and we have to have righteousness. We have to have perfection to stand before God and the only one that offers to give us that perfection, the only one worthy, the only one that possesses that perfection is Jesus. And he, he possessed it from birth. It says when he was born, all these laws were kept. The law of the Lord, the law of Moses, over and over again in verses 21 through verses 24. Three times the law testified to Jesus. But that's not the only testimony to who this Christ is. The second thing I want to show you, and I know I'm moving quick, just listen fast and it'll be okay. Uh, the second thing I want to show you is that the Spirit of God testified to who this Jesus is. And it says, verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Remember what I said about repeated words? Pay attention to repeated words. Watch how, watch how many times it's repeated in these verses. The Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the spirit. There it is again into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him the custom of the law, then he took up in his arms. Then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, before we go into Simeon's song, let me just show you that three times we're told that the spirit of God testified. This is the Christ. You see, Simeon, who was the spirit of God, the Holy Ghost was upon him. And he was led by the Spirit on that particular day, on that particular occasion, to go into the temple because the Spirit of God had promised Simeon, made a promise to him that you will not die. You will not die until you see 
the Lord's Christ, until you see the Messiah born. And so you can imagine Simeon had probably spent most of his life waiting to see this Christ. And the Spirit of God, you see here, testifies that this is Jesus. He came to Simeon and said, there he is. That's the one. You'll see the same thing when John the Baptist comes forward and he says, I saw the Spirit of God descend down upon him like a dove. The Spirit of God will always testify to who Jesus is. There are a lot of things going around. If you watch TV or watch the the TV preachers and things, and they'll, they'll talk about what the spirit does and what the spirit doesn't do and the and and how the spirit moves and all these kind of things and at its most basic level the one thing that you can always be sure is the spirit of god will always be lifting high the name of jesus will always be pointing to jesus and will always be drawing men into the kingdom of god through jesus jesus said in john chapter 16 verse 14 he said when the comforter comes when the spirit of god comes from on high, he said, he will glorify me. That's what he will do. And so a lot of times you see these things going on about the spirit saying this and the spirit saying that if at its very base, if at its very, the, the very bottom of the, the foundation of what we're talking about, if the spirit isn't lifting high the name of Jesus, if he's not pointing people to Jesus, if he's not growing people in Jesus, then I can rightly doubt whether that is the spirit of God actually moving the spirit of God. When it, when it comes, when I say when it, When he comes, when he comes and moves in your life, he's going to draw you closer to Jesus. That's what he does. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. And all that has to do with Christ sin because they need a savior righteousness because they have a savior right there that has uh, paid for that sin and given that righteousness and judgment because we have one who is saving us from judgment if we will turn to him in faith and and receive the grace of God. The spirit of God is always going to testify to who this Jesus is. When you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, it's the spirit revealing to you. Jesus told Peter, he said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. But my Father who is heaven, God will always lift up His Christ. He will always point to His Messiah that He sent. He will always magnify His Son. And so the center around everything that turns in ministry, in the kingdom of God, in your daily life, it has to be Jesus him high and lifting up when the spirit is moving and drawing you and and speaking to you to do this or to do that it's always it's always it's always about Jesus. It's always about his kingdom. It's always about his will. It's always about glorifying him and lifting him up and magnifying Jesus. That's what the spirit does. So you have two, two things here, two, two aspects. One is the law of God. It testifies that this Jesus is what you need. This Jesus is the only thing that's going to pay the sin that you and I owe. And the second thing you have is this, the, the Holy Spirit testifies that, yes, this is the Jesus uh, who is the Christ, who will take away the sin of the world. Uh, we're talking about will because we're, we're still before his uh, life here. But we know that he did take away the sin of the world. We have these witnesses. But we also have these witnesses in Simeon. And then we're going to see this lady named Anna. Let's look just uh, real quickly through these. It says, 
we, we see that he is the fulfillment of the law. He is the testimony of the Spirit. The Spirit will testify that this is the Christ. And the, the next thing is we look at Simeon's song that he sings, which is the fourth song in the first two chapters of Luke. He says that this baby that he's looking at, this Christ, this Messiah, this is God's salvation. In verse 29, it says, um, he says, Lord, this is what Simeon's saying. Let me, 28 says, then he took him up in his arms. I don't know how you ladies would feel if some dude walked up in church and just grabbed your baby. But he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now let us thou servant depart in peace according to thy word. He said, now I'm ready to die. Now I'm ready to go. And this is why verse 34, mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. That's Simeon's song. And he sings it saying, it's written in verse, and he's singing it saying, God, you are blessed because I have seen your salvation. You have kept your promise to me. And it's almost like he's saying, I have seen your salvation. Well, that is what he said, but it's almost like he's saying, because I have seen this child, because I have seen the salvation that you've given, now I'm ready to die. I'm ready to depart. I'm ready to leave. You promised, the Holy Spirit promised him that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Christ. And when he laid his eyes upon this Christ and the Holy Spirit told him, this is Jesus, the one who will take away the sin of the world. He said, now I'm ready to die because my eyes have seen the Lord's salvation. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. I love the way that's phrased. My eyes have, my eyes have laid upon your salvation. Your salvation. It's not just, I told you this a little last week, but this salvation that we talk about, sometimes we talk about salvation in an abstract sense, like it's this plan or this purpose, it's this method, it's this thing. If you follow step one, step two, step three, and of course there is, you repent of your sin and you trust in Christ. I got that. I got that. But at its base, at its foundation, salvation is a person. It's a person. It's, it's God and man. It's this Jesus. When he saw, Simeon saw this child in Mary's arms, well, he took him up from Mary's arms. And when he's looking down in the face of this child, he could say, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I don't know how this child is going to grow up and, and what he's going to be and how he's going to, how he's going to minister and how he's going to affect all this. But I know that he is the salvation of God. And so a lot of times, you know, I was a little nervous coming in today because this text is kind of not easy to preach. And I was thinking, how am I going to give them some good life principles? How am I going to make this relevant to them? And the reality hit me like a ton of bricks when Simeon and saw it's all about making Jesus known. It's as simple as that. If you are sitting out there and you're saying, you know what? I already know this Jesus as good as I want to know him, as deep as I want to know him. Then there's nothing I'm going to be able to say that's going to affect you today. There's nothing I can give you self-help principles. I can give you principles for living. I can make things relevant for your life and tell you about how to get out of hardships and all that has a place in preaching and in teaching from the word of God. But at its core, at its foundation, if you don't have a desire to know this Jesus more, you are skipping over the salvation of God, skipping over the blessing of God as it is found in relationship with this Christ. 
with this Jesus. And so he looks down at this baby in, in his arms and he says, this is God's salvation. And understand, it's the only salvation. There is not another. There's never been another, nor will there ever be another. God, man, there'll never be another who will take the law of God upon himself, take the wrath and punishment of God himself upon himself and freely give his life for you. There'll never be another savior. There'll never be another salvation. You won't find it in works. You won't find it in good things, fun things to do. You won't find it in pills. You won't find it in your family. You won't find it in your husband or your wife. You won't find it in your job. There is no other salvation. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved than this name, Jesus. He says, this is the salvation, your salvation. And I've seen it. Therefore, your promise is fulfilled to me. He made a promise to Simeon that he would see the Lord's Christ before he died. And when he laid his eyes upon this child, when he laid his eyes upon the Savior, it was almost like he's saying, this is enough. He is satisfied just to just to lay his eyes upon the salvation of God. He said, you know what? My life is complete. He says, I mean, I don't know how many of y'all have ever thought, you know, okay, I'm ready to die. I mean, in a sense, if you're born again, you're ready to die. But, you know, I got to cut the grass this afternoon. You know, I'm hoping it ain't going to come in the next five minutes. He says, he says, now I'm ready to depart. Jesus for him was enough. It was all that his life encompassed. It was all that he wanted. It was all that he longed for. I'm going to talk a little bit more about Simeon in just a minute, but this was the fulfillment of everything. Jesus. Do we feel that way sometimes? Sometimes we think this Jesus is kind of the baby steps, you know, just the basics. This is what we learn about. We learn about this Jesus and gospel. I know I'm spitting everywhere. It's a good thing y'all ain't on the front row. It, we learn about this Jesus in vacation Bible school and Sunday school, and we think it's the baby steps. You know, it's the it's the that's just the the, the cute stuff that you you learn. You got to understand that. But once you get once you get where we are, once you get where we are, now you need the deeper. You need the deeper teachings. You need the you need the the the, the heavier things. You need to you need to understand the deep things of God and how they. The reality is Jesus is all that there is to know him and to and to know him more and to make him known. That's all that there is. Everything, everything that you need for life and godliness, everything that you need to have satisfaction and purpose and fulfillment in this life is found in Christ. And what happens is we start thinking, you know, uh, I got this Christ thing. I got this Jesus thing. You know, I've been saved for a long time and it's all good. And, and, but I'm still having all these struggles and worries and all these issues. I'm still having all these things. So let me go find, you know, th- this is not working for me. So let me, let me dig in and try to find something deeper. Let me, let me go to this, these, uh, life principles and teachings and all, all these things. The, the newest Christian fad, the newest book that's come out, the newest teaching series that's come out. And maybe this will help me in my life. Maybe 
maybe this will help me to uh, find joy and, and, and peace and purpose and fulfillment and all these things. Maybe this will be the key that unlocks the door that, that brings all the this, this stuff that people talk about, this abundant Christian life that people talk about. Maybe maybe this is it. And then with that, well, that wasn't it. I mean, I, I tried that and it didn't work. Okay, let me move to this next thing. Now there's a new book that came out. There's a new teaching series that came out. There's a new thing that's come out. Let me try this. And that's not it either. And the further and further we get away from Jesus Christ and him crucified, the less we find that joy and that peace and that fulfillment because he and he alone is what satisfies us. Simeon looked and he said, now I am ready to die. You're letting your servant depart. Let me depart in peace because you have fulfilled your word. I have seen the Christ. And he saw him from before the cross. We have such a, a, a bigger picture, I should, uh, a fuller picture of who Jesus was and what he did. Simeon was looking at a baby. He, he, he didn't know that he would go to the cross to pay for his sin. He didn't know who he would be and what kind of man he would be and the miracles that would flow from his hands. He didn't know of the life and the ministry of Jesus. All he knew, all he had was a promise from God. This is him, the Lamb of God, who will take away the sin of the world. Simeon looked at him and he said, this is enough. Is it enough for you? Is it enough for us? Did we come here today just to, to, to learn a few principles and, and walk out of here? Did we come just to, just to get it done so we can get it over with and go on about the rest of our day? Or did we come to see Jesus? Did we come to see him high and lifted up? Did we come to worship him? Or were we led by the spirit into the house of God to behold the salvation that God has given us? And provided for us so that we could come into relationship with him, not in fear, but in boldness to the throne of grace. What exactly did you come into the house of the Lord for? Was it to see Jesus? And so Simeon saw this child, not just for the salvation of Israel, but for the whole world. He said, this child is a light to the Gentiles. He said it. There were people looking for this, uh, this salvation even before Jesus began his first sermon, before his first day of ministry, as that began as a child, before he was born, there were people there looking for the salvation, the consolation of Israel is what he called it. This Simeon was looking, but understand there's something about this Jesus you need to know. In verse 33, Simeon continues to speak to Mary and Joseph. He turns his eyes to them instead of the baby. And he says in verse 33, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. They marveled at what Simeon said. Who wouldn't? And Simeon blessed them too. And he said unto Mary, his mother, behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel for a sign which shall be spoken against. He says to Mary, yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts shall be revealed. You need to understand also something about this Jesus. He's not he's not just the salvation of our souls. He's the only salvation of our souls. He's the only fulfillment of our life. He's the only purpose of our life. But he's also you need to understand before we even before we get into anything further. Jesus is a divider of men. 
He's a divider of men. He's going to divide households. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, it's right around verse 33, 35, 36, right in there somewhere. It says, you think I came to bring, bring peace? I came to bring a sword. I'm going to turn father against son and, and, and daughter against mother. I'm going to turn brother against brother. And a man's enemies shall be those of his own household. That's what Jesus said. And he said this. You, you need to understand, Mary, this, this child that you have, this Messiah that was prophesied, this one who is the fulfillment of all of our souls, he is going to be set for the fall and the rising again of many. There are people that are going to look to this Jesus as there are today, as there were back in the first century, and they are going to see righteousness. They're going to see God's law fulfilled. They're going to see all these things, and there are people that are going to reject that, and they are going to fall. They are going to go into condemnation. And then there are people that are going to receive this Christ. There are people that are going to be drawn by the Holy Spirit and changed in their heart, born again by the Spirit of God, and they will be lifted up in relationship with God. He said he is a sign to be opposed. He is a sign that is going to be spoken against. And you, you think to yourself, well, how could that be really? I mean, as we've been describing this, it's such good news, isn't it? I mean, you and I, you, you know you're a sinner. You know that you are. You know that you've broken God's law. You know that you've broken it this morning from the time your feet hit the floor to the time that you've got here. And so you know that if you stand in your own righteousness, in your own works, you know that condemnation is the only thing that you'll receive. Judgment is the only thing that you'll receive. But here is one brought forth, God and man, who says, I will take that condemnation. I will take that wrath from you and I will give you perfection. I'll give you righteousness. That is some good news, just like those angels proclaimed to the shepherds. That's great news. Who would who would deny that? Who would reject that? Unfortunately, you're going to see many people reject it. The reason why, why is because that last verse, it says, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. That's the one thing that Jesus does. When you lift up Christ, when, when Christ comes and his spirit magnifies Jesus and it, and it comes and the kingdom of God is preached, the kingdom of God is offered, what it does at its most basic form is reveal what's in your heart. And for 100% of the population, that's not a good thing. There was lots of songs. There used to be a, uh, I can remember playing, I can remember in, in some youth class playing these little cartoons like they were, they were, I don't know when they were, but they were just, I don't even remember what kind of cartoons it was. But the whole song they were singing was, follow your heart. Your heart will tell you what, you know, it's like a song about following your heart, telling kids, you know, just follow your heart. That's the worst thing that we could do because your heart is just like mine. It's deceitful, desperately wicked. It wants what it wants and it's always going to be selfish. It's always going to be following after what it's own. It's always going to be doing that which is against God and against nature. And when you look to Jesus, when you look to the perfect law of God and you see this Savior, what that does is it reveals all that ugliness in your heart. You know, you can get by. Mankind has this uncanny ability to deceive himself. He, he, we deceive ourselves all the time. You know, I'm a good person. Uh, uh, people say all the time, you know, as long as I'm decent, 
As long as I'm just living a decent life and I'm trying to help people, and I'm not as bad as all, everybody around me, and I'm not near as bad as the guy I work next to or the lady that I live next door to. As long as I live a decent life, I'm a good person. And when you see Jesus, when it comes and this Savior is dying on a cross for your sin, it reveals that heart and that heart is open. You say, oh, it's ugly. It's disgusting. There's, there's wretchedness and wickedness in my heart. And there's going to be one of two reactions to that. It's either going to make you very, very angry and offended. How dare you tell me that I'm a sinner? How dare you say that I'm not a good person? How dare you tell me that what I'm doing is a sin? Who do you think you are? It'll either make you angry or it'll bring you to your knees as the Holy Spirit grabs that heart and it'll bring you to repentance and faith in this Christ. One of those two things. When, when the, when, that's why it says the preaching of the cross is it, foolishness to those who are perishing. It, it's an offense. It's an offense because we don't want to have our heart revealed. We want to pretend like our heart is good and basically we're, we're just good people. I had a guy one time, I was eating dinner with Dana at a restaurant and a guy that we know w- walked up and you know, we were just talking, having conversation. Conversation went to Jesus and salvation and church and, and those kind of things. And this is what his, his, his life principle was. He said, I believe that when you do something good, he says, God puts a notch in your key. And if you do enough things where you get enough notches, your key is going to work when you open up the, open up, when you stick it in the lock. Now, I know that sounds kind of foolish, but People live like that. Some of us deceive ourselves into thinking that's the way it is. You're notching your key. My response to him was, well, since you and I have done absolutely nothing good, you're going to be walking up there with a key blank, you know, hoping that you can get in. And so we we tend to live like that. You know, as long as I'm a decent guy, as long as I don't hurt anybody, as long as I'm willing to give the shirt off my back to somebody, as long as I'm as long as I'm willing to help people and and, and not do anything really bad, everything's going to be fine. And Jesus comes along when you stare into the eyes of this savior that's dying on a cross for you. It reveals the ugliness inside. It reveals your heart. It, it opens our our innermost being and says, you know, this inside of you is ugly. It's wretched. It's sinful. If you've broken the law at any one point, you've broken the whole thing and your heart is revealed. And there's only one or two responses. You're either going to say, forget that. I'm not, I'm not listening to you. I'm not listening to this. I'm not believing that I'm as wretched as scripture says that I am. And you reject Christ. You reject God and you go and you hope to make it on your own works, on your own goodness. Or you fall to your knees in repentance as the Spirit of God leads you to that repentance and you cry out for a Savior. He said that's why it's, this child is set for the fall and for the rising of many. This is the salvation of God. So what you've seen so far is that the law of God testified that this is the Messiah. This is the Savior. The Spirit of God is always going to testify to the Savior and to glorify Him. And you need to understand that Jesus Christ is always 
going to be a divider of men. You wonder why if you're following Christ and, and, and trying to live after him, knowing that he saved you and that by grace you're saved, but you're trying to follow after him and you got family and you got friends that are, that are uh, uh, abusive about it, saying, we don't, that's the stupidest thing. You just need to go on and we, you don't get invited to the party anymore. Understand, Jesus is always going to be a divider of men. He's always going to be a divider. People are going to divide over him like no other. And the last thing I want to show you before we go is that what you and I need to do, because our hearts today have been revealed. Your heart's been revealed to you. Understand, it's ugly. It's wretched. It's sinful. I don't care how how well you dressed up for Sunday morning. I don't care how well you're doing in your daily life as far as your your works. I'm not robbing banks. I'm you know, people look at me and they see uh, an upstanding member of society. They see uh, a person who has it all going on. God looks at the inward man. He judges the motivations of your heart. Jesus came saying, you know, you guys think you're okay because you don't go out and commit adultery. You heard it said before, thou shalt not commit adultery. He said, but I say to you, he said, if you look with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. You've heard it said, don't murder. And you guys think you're doing great because you hadn't murdered anybody. He said, but I say to you, if a man hates in his heart, then he's been, he's committed murder. God's going to hold you and I accountable, not only for what we do out there in life, but also what we do in here, in our thoughts in our mind, in our hearts. He's going to hold you accountable for every motivation. You know, I helped the lady across the street. Well, if you didn't do it from the right motivation, guess what? It's sin. And that's a scary thing. I mean, at its base, you've heard me say it a million times, but at its very foundation, the the most grievous sin that we do is to not love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so he is going to hold you accountable. Today, your heart has been revealed. As you look to Jesus and his salvation, it has revealed your heart. You and I must look to him for salvation. As they're talking here, the last three verses, the 36, this lady walks up. As Simeon is, is speaking these things, he's saying, you know, this child is the Messiah. This child is salvation. He's going to bring about redemption, but he's also going to divide men. This lady walks up. Her name is Anna. It says, and there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel uh, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. She was a widow of about forty, <clears throat> four score and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers day and night. And she coming in that instant, she came as uh, Simeon was speaking, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. And she spoke of him. To all them, what were they doing? Looking for the redemption in Jerusalem. Understand, you got these two people. You got Simeon and you got Anna. Two, I'm assuming, it doesn't tell us how old Simeon is, but I'm assuming he's an old guy because he said, now let me depart uh, because I've seen your Christ. You got these two old people that have been looking for this Messiah, been looking, been waiting their whole life for this redemption waiting their whole life. And there were other people as well. It says Anna went and told of him to all those who were looking for redemption in Jerusalem. They had been waiting. I can, I can imagine the Holy Spirit promised Simeon, you will not die until you see the Lord's Christ. And so I, I just get this picture in my mind of Simeon. You imagine him every day of his life walking around in the streets of Jerusalem thinking, I wonder if that's him. 
I wonder if this, this child is him. You see the little kids running around in the street. I wonder if that's him. You can imagine every day mothers would come in to dedicate their children in the temple and, and Simeon would stand around in the temple maybe and he would look at this baby and say, is this him? Is this G? Is this? He wouldn't know it's Jesus, but is this the Messiah? Is this God's salvation? And every day he would walk away thinking, well, no, not today. It's not today. Not today. And finally, there comes a day when he walks in the temple and the spirit leads him there and says, this is the one. And he says, now I can die here. Finally, this lady who'd been in the temple fasting and praying for most of her life, she'd been a widow for a very long time and she had dedicated herself to God, looking for the redemption of God. Finally, here he was and she walks up and begins thanking God and praising God. They were looking for the redemption that came through Christ and at its most basic level he said Simeon said I have seen Jesus therefore I'm ready to die I'm ready my life is complete my life is fulfilled I've seen the Christ is he enough is he enough for you and I today is he enough do you do you need Jesus plus something to make you happy to have joy Do you need Christ plus lots of money or a great job or a great family? Or do you need Christ plus anything to make you happy? Or is it just Christ? Is it just Jesus? If that's all you had, is that all that you need? Understand that today, as you look into into the eyes of this Savior who died for us, you are... You have everything that you need in Christ. You have everything that you need in Christ. The question is, what is your purpose in life? What is your satisfaction in life? What can you not live without? What what is it that defines who you are as a person? If it's anything other than the Messiah of God, Christ, Jesus then you need to ask hard questions of yourself whether you even be of the faith or not. I'm not saying you don't take enjoyment in things. I take enjoyment in lots of things. You like to go fishing, like to go shopping, like to go do lots of things. Have, you know, we enjoy lots of things. But I'm talking about at its most basic level. What defines you? What do you live for? If I went out and asked your coworkers, ask your family, ask your friends, ask your neighbors, what is it that this person, in one sentence, tell me what they live for? Would they say, Jesus? Would they say, they live for God. They live to study the word. They live to, to, to fellowship at, at, at their church. I mean, something like that. Would they say Christ is the, the foundation of your life? And if the answer to that question for your friends and your family and your neighbors and the people that know you, if they say, well, oh, they love football or, or, or they love whatever, then something's wrong. People should know, they should see that Jesus is enough. Because we should live and we should know that for my joy, for my happiness, for my salvation, for my standing with God, the purpose and the the foundation of my life is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Is He enough for you today? That's really the question I'm asking. Simeon looked at the child and he said, I am ready to depart. Because I have seen the Lord's Christ. Is he enough for you today? Is he enough? 
If he's not enough for you, if you don't live for him, if you will find your purpose in him, if he's not the hub on which all your life revolves around, you need to ask whether